Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We're a little more than a week until Christmas, so it's crunch time for all of those people still making their holiday gifts and decor. But our staff is here to offer a few tips for kicking that holiday sewing stress so you can be productive while still enjoying the holidays. We also share some uplifting stories of quilters making a difference, a project our staff member is working on, resources for identifying quilt patterns and blocks in vintage quilts, and exciting news about our 500th podcast episode. So to begin, I'm handing the mic over to some of our staff members to share their best ideas for relaxing during the holiday sewing madness some of you may be experiencing. This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. As a maker, I always have these grand plans of making gifts for everyone on my gift list during the holiday season. But trying to tailor a gift for each person can be a little daunting, time-consuming, and stress-inducing. In order to be more efficient with my time and alleviate some stress during the holiday season, I now try and search for patterns for items that I could make in multiples. So for example, one year I knit 30 scarves. And I did this while watching TV at night or watching my son's basketball games. It was all basically free time and I was multitasking and getting gifts made for everyone on my list that year. Another year I made zipper bags, and once I got in the groove, I could do assembly line work for some of the steps, like putting in the zippers, and that sped up the process so I wasn't constantly changing out my zipper foot from my regular sewing foot on my sewing machine. Now, we have lots of free patterns on allpeoplequilt.com for things like mug rugs, tote bags, and journal covers that would also make great gifts, so go check it out at allpeoplequilt.com. This is Doris, the editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine. I typically make only small gifts for the holidays so as not to overwhelm myself. In the past, for kids, I've made pillowcases, crayon rolls, and soft toys. For the adult gifts, um, things like oven mitts or kitchen towels for someone who loves to cook. Zipper bags work for almost anyone. A book cover works well for someone who loves to read or to journal. Or make the grown-ups on your list a stress-relieving gift, such as a rice and lavender-filled neck roll or a soft eye mask. All of these are simple to make, and they can be easily made in multiples. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm the editor of Quilt Some More magazine. My tips for managing holiday stress involve making gifts for people. Now, I love to make homemade gifts. I think they're so personal and People really appreciate them, especially since most of my friends don't know how to sew. However, it can be a real cause of stress when you're trying to complete so many gifts at once and you have so many other holiday things happening. And over time, I realized that trying so hard to make so many gifts for so many people really was diminishing my joy of the holiday season, which is not what sewing and gift giving should be about. So my tip is to first look at your list and decide who really needs to be on that homemade gift list. There are some people where I know they look forward to it every year and they love to see what I've been up to lately and they definitely stay on the list. 
But for some friends who may not understand all the work that goes into it or just appreciate the gesture but not so much what the thing itself is, they maybe get some store-bought things. It's just a little bit easier and it's less stress on me and honestly they don't always know the difference. So that's tip number one is making sure that your list of gift recipients for handmade gifts is reasonable, especially if like me, you usually start making the gifts in, oh, I don't know, early December. My other tip is to find a project that you can make many of and fairly easily. So I have a little stocking pattern that I made for myself based on a store-bought Christmas stocking that you put a gift card in. Over time, I've gotten very good at making one or two of those between projects, just sort of as a palette cleanser. What usually ends up happening is around Christmas time, I've used up a bunch of my Christmas scraps making these little stockings, and I have a stockpile of them, so that way I can, as I need gifts, just pull one in, add a gift card or some candy, depending on who the person is, and it is ready to go. So that has taken a lot of stress off me in that it's a very small project, I can make them in advance and store them easily, and then, you know, if I have a coworker or a new friend, someone where I want to give them a little something for the holidays, but maybe not invest in a larger project, um, I have something little and meaningful that I can give them. So those are my two tips. Number one, check your guest list, um, I mean your gift recipient list, <laughs> and number two, Find a project that's easy for you that you can make in advance and make in bulk. I know I'm probably never going to be that sewer that has all of my handmade gifts done early, but little things like that, I can do one or two and get a good head start. So that way I'm not stressing when it gets to the few days before the actual holidays. So those are my tips and happy holidays, everyone. This really is the best time of the year and I'm so excited to share these tips with you. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Stumbo, art director for American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. I love to put up Christmas decorations outside of my house and in my living room. However, I often forget to decorate other rooms in my house. This year, I made a goal to extend the decorations into my home office and sewing room since I have been spending so much time in there this year. I added some holiday artwork to my walls, and I even strung up some garland on my bookcases. Now that the space is decorated for the holidays, I found myself enjoying the space even more, and it is actually helping to motivate me to start working on my holiday sewing projects. I recently found myself picking up a Christmas quilt that has been a UFO project for at least two years now, and I hope to have the top completed very soon. I also love swapping out my playlist to holiday tunes to help me feel extra festive when I'm sewing. So if you too are feeling a little bah humbug this year when it comes to holiday sewing, I encourage you to try decorating your sewing space. It might be just what you need to get yourself motivated and put yourself in the Christmas spirit. My name is Allison and I'm the designer of Quilts and More magazine. When it comes to making gifts for the holidays, the best tip I have is to start early. By starting early, you can take your time and not feel rushed. 
Plus, if it's a tedious project or if you're feeling overwhelmed, you have time to take a break and come back to the projects a bit later. However, if you haven't started early, don't worry. I found that working in stages is helpful when making gifts. If you're making gifts in multiples, do all of the same steps at once. For example, if you're making table runners, piece all of the runners first. Then you can move on to quilting all of the table runners. I find that this method is easier to manage rather than making one whole table runner and then starting completely over for the next. I find that if I focus on one project at a time, when it comes time to start the next one, I'm feeling less inspired to start over from scratch. Whereas by working in stages, I don't have an excuse to stop because they're all works in progress. Hey, it's Lindsay again. Like others have said, one of the best ways to kick holiday sewing stress is by starting early. But of course, this year, I still found myself having to make an entire throw quilt as a present for my brother in the two weeks before I was seeing him for the holidays. So I made the sewing experience as fun and relaxing as possible by setting the mood. Each time I would sit down to sew, I would light a holiday candle. I just love the smell of evergreen. I'd make myself a cup of yummy tea or hot chocolate, and I'd turn on a Hallmark Christmas movie. The movies are about two hours long, so I'd sew for as much as that time as possible and made fast progress on the throw quilt I was working on. And because I was going to be watching the Hallmark movies anyway, I still felt like I was getting that me time with my favorite movies, but I was also crossing some sewing to-dos off of my list at the same time. It took about five Hallmark movies to get through the throw quilt, but time went quickly, and I really ended up enjoying myself despite the rush to finish the quilt. So if you're still working hard on those holiday gifts or decor, try setting the mood. We're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. When we come back, we're going to hear some fun stories about quilters helping their communities. Welcome back. Now I'm handing the mic over to Allison, the designer of Quilts and More magazine, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share uplifting stories of quilters making a difference. Take it away, Allison. If you drive down any street in the U.S., you'll likely see at least one American flag proudly displayed. Many of these flags hang outside of businesses and homes, withstanding all sorts of weather conditions. With that comes some wear and tear. Matthew Amatuli, a 16-year-old from Wellington, Florida, has become passionate about fixing American flags that have become damaged in the elements. Matthew was diagnosed with autism at a young age and found comfort in watching flags move gently through the breeze. His mother, Angela, said he would always ask for flags as birthday presents. Once it was apparent just how passionate Matthew was about flags, his grandmother taught him how to sew and repair them using his very own sewing machine. He is now on a mission to hang as many American flags across Palm Beach County as he can get his hands on. His mom said, if there's a business that has a pole without a flag on it, he will ask if he can put his flag up there. Local businesses have been very supportive of Matthew's mission and have allowed him to take down their flags and replace them with new ones. If a flag is beyond repair, he makes sure that it is properly retired. 
Matthew is so dedicated to the American flag that he and his mom spent an entire day driving around town before a tropical storm, taking down flags so that winds and heavy rain wouldn't tear through the fabric. Matthew's dedication is remarkable. His mother hopes that one day he can turn his passion into a business. I can't afford to keep buying all of these parts, she said. If you come across a tattered flag that's in need of repair, Matthew is happy to lend a hand. We'll put a link in the show notes for his Facebook page where you can find out more info. Our next story comes from Canada. We all know that quilting tends to result in a lot of leftover scrap fabric. Many of us throw them into bins and forget about them or toss them in the trash. But a woman from Pictou, Canada is turning these scraps into something useful. Diana Spurvey, along with a handful of other quilters, have been making fidget quilts from fabric scraps. Fidget quilts, sometimes called activity blankets, provide a great sensory experience for people with restless hands, including those with Alzheimer's, autism, and more. These small fidget quilts are made from a variety of fabric scraps, such as fleece, satin, and leather. There are also more three-dimensional items sewn in, such as beads, zippers, ropes, and more. All of the quilts made by the group are sewn with heavy-duty thread, so they're durable and can be used over and over again. The group of six women began making these fidget quilts right before the pandemic hit, so they had to take a break from the project. However, now that things are starting to get back to normal in their area, they've been able to take the finished products to the Oddfellows home and donated them to residents. Staff at the Oddfellows home are so grateful for their donations. The director of the facility said, the lap blankets are particularly comforting and useful for our residents living with dementia, providing them with calming, safe, sensory stimulating experience. We are fortunate to have such caring volunteers in our community provide us with such valuable resources, particularly in such challenging times. Diana is also the owner of a gifts and crafts store called The Enchanted Door, where she has previously held workshops on creating these fidget quilts. She has plans to hold another workshop in January, free of charge. She is also offering one-on-one sessions so she can maintain proper social distance. It's obvious how passionate Diana is about this project, and I can't wait to see where this venture takes her. Thank you so much for sharing those stories, Allison. Now we're switching gears to What's on Your Workspace, a segment where our staff shares what they're working on now. Allison, why don't you tell us about a project you're working on? For the last couple of months, I've been working on a throw size quilt made with all solid fabrics. Several years ago, when I had the opportunity to go to Quilt Market, I purchased a beautifully curated bundle of pure solids from Art Gallery Fabrics, and I've just been holding onto that bundle for the perfect pattern. Rachel from Ren Collective released two new patterns this year. One is called May Quilt and the other is called Marcella. They're very similar, but one features curves and the other features half square triangles. I'm already working on a different quilt that's all curves, so I decided to make the May Quilt, which is the half square triangle version. I immediately knew that my bundle of art gallery fabric solids would be perfect to pair with this pattern. 
The pattern calls for very specific fabric cuts in order to make four different styles of blocks. Cutting and labeling all of the fabrics was probably the most tedious part. All of the blocks are comprised of squares and rectangles, so the sewing was actually the easy part. Since my work from home office is set up in my sewing room, I tend to sew a bit during lunch or after I get done working for the day. It's amazing how much those little sewing sessions add up. Before I knew it, I had all four of my block styles complete. So now I'm working on the half square triangle blocks, which are all the same, so they're a bit less exciting to work on. Luckily, the pattern has you make eight half square triangles at a time, which is definitely a lifesaver. Once I have all of my half square tri triangle blocks assembled, I can start pairing them up with my other main blocks. It's always so exciting to be at that stage when you can really see the quilt come together. So hopefully I can get this quilt top all finished and off to a quilter and back by the time spring rolls around. The color palette has a lot of pink and purple variations and some mustard and blues thrown in there. So it'll be perfect to use once all the snow melts and nature starts to bloom. Thanks, Allison. You'll have to check out her Instagram to see the beautiful photos she's posting of her progress on this quilt. We're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. When we get back, we're sharing some resources to identify antique quilt patterns. Welcome back. I'm now here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and notions and their histories. What are we talking about today, Jody? Well, I thought today, sometimes we buy quilts just because we love them, and particularly vintage quilts, and you may not be familiar with what the pattern is, and you want to know that. And so what would you do or how would you go about maybe doing some research to find out either the history, the era that the time it was made, or the name of the pattern itself? So let's share, I want to share with you a couple of my kind of go-to resources that I use to get information on quilt patterns and history. And the first one may be familiar to a lot of you, but I want to give you just a little bit of background in case you didn't know. Um, the first edition of Barbara Brackman's Encyclopedia of Peace Quilt Patterns was introduced in 1979. Barbara had been a pattern collector for a lot of years, and she gathered these patterns, she put the names and organized it in a format that was on recipe cards. Now, that seemed fine at the time, but as she was gathering in the hundreds of numbers of patterns, she was finding that it wasn't a very useful way to organize all of those patterns. So what she did is she decided to put everything in a style of a three ring binder. So what she did is she researched the names of the blocks and when they were first published or first seen, and she would put that information on one side, and then on the opposite side, she hand drew the block itself. So it was a black and white hand drawing. So she put all this in a three ring binder and she found that not only was she interested in it that way, but there were also other researchers and people interested in, in collecting patterns that wanted a copy of that. So she made copies and she sold these pattern notebooks to others who were interested in these patterns. Well, in, uh, Barbara was approached by American Quilter Society to see if um, she would be interested in having them publish that as a, as a book, as a hard copy book. So in 1993, 
the second edition was published and that was a 551 page hard co hard copy book um and that sold many many books but by 2011 uh, the book was out of print and AQS was not producing those books any longer. Um, and then prices were soaring on the secondhand market for that book. Electric Quilt uh, created what they called Block Base, and that's a computer program of the book. So it allowed people to print off templates for the blocks if they wanted. Um, and over the years, there were upgrades to block base. And that happened naturally just because a lot of computer systems, um, as those changed, they needed to upgrade the block base system. So as EQ, Electronic Well, was preparing for um, their most recent updated block base, they approached Barbara about doing a third edition of her book. So in November um, of this year, November of 2020, the third edition was released. And in this updated version, um, there are two parts to the block. Instead of there just being a black and white drawing, there's also a version in color so that people can look like or people can see what it would look like when the colors were inserted in some of those spaces. So those of us at American Patchwork and Quilting are really excited for this new edition because this is actually the source that we use for identifying um, official block names for quilts that appear in our magazines. If we have um, a question about something, we go to what we call Brackman's book to see what the official name of the block should be. So we are very excited to have this third edition of the book. You can find more information about um, the book at electricquilt.com. And uh, I think you'll enjoy the book, and not only for research purposes, but it's also great for inspiration purposes. So if you want to make a quilt, you can go to the book and get lots and lots of ideas for blocks that you want might want to make uh, to make a quilt. And the second source that I want to talk a little bit about is called the Quilt Index. And the Quilt Index is a digital storage place for photographs and ephemera and information about quilts that's been gathered from collections all around the world. This particular um, quilt index is housed at Michigan State University and it's supported by public and private donations. And like I said, it's an online or digital storage space. So you're not going somewhere to see something. Um, uh, it, you're actually going on your computer and looking for the information. So categories for searches can include things like artists or stories, uh, collections. One of my favorite areas is to go to the state research projects. So for example, I can go and find the Iowa Quilt Research Project and read all about that project that started in my home state in 1987. That actually started a couple of years before I started quilting. And so I got involved in about 1989 in the Iowa Quilt Research Project. But it's fun for me to go back and reminisce about those early years and also find out about the things that happened to be before I actually started quilting. The entries, they can include photographs um, of the quilt. They talk about materials that were used, um, the time frame when the quilt was made, and then any other biographical information about the quilt maker or where the quilt originated from. There's also quilts from museum collections on the quilt index. 
And you can, of course, view those any time of day or night with just the click of a computer mouse. And you don't have to get dressed and go someplace to go to a museum. You can actually see these collections on your computer screen. So go to the quiltindex.org or quiltindex.org to learn more about this resource for learning more about quilt patterns, names, and the history of quilts. Thanks so much, Jody. Those both sound like great resources, and we can link to them in the show notes so that all of the listeners can uh, dive in and start doing their research. <laughs> Thank you. Before we leave today, I want to share exciting news. Our podcast, after 11 years, is coming to our 500th episode. Isn't that amazing? Our 500th episode airs February 1st of 2021, and we're planning to do something special. Our staff will be on hand to answer listener questions. We're calling the show Ask Us Anything, so we can give back to our listeners by talking about what they want to hear about most. So if you have a question for us, shoot us an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. We'll list the email address in the show notes. It can be about quilting, about our magazines, questions for specific staff members you hear in the show, and anything else you can think of. We're so excited to see the questions you have and to celebrate this 500th show with you. We're truly so thankful for all our listeners and all the support you've given us, especially during this last year when we've had to mostly record from home over a computer or on the phone. You all make it so worth it for us to show up every week and share the love of quilting with you all. So like I said, email us your questions at apqpodcast at meredith.com before February so we can include your questions on the show. Thanks all and have a great week.